0: Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. A survey from the Angus Reid Institute suggests the pandemic has changed the way that most Canadians think about their future with long-term care. We get some of the details from Global's Sandy Salerno.
1: More than 80% of Canadians say their views on long-term care have changed since COVID-19 hit. About half of the people the Angus Reid Institute surveyed say they now dread the thought of themselves or their loved ones ending up in one of these facilities. Three quarters of respondents say significant changes, if not a complete overhaul, needs to happen in long-term care. And although divided on just how to do that exactly, more than half of those surveyed said they'd be willing to dip into their own wallets to fund improvements, which could go to anything from hiring more staff or having more inspections. Since the pandemic began, more than 15,000 Canadians living in long-term care have died of COVID-19. Sandy Salerno, Global News.
0: Let's speak with Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos, co-founder of Doctors for Justice in Long-Term Care and professor at Ontario Tech University. Dr. Stamatopoulos, good morning. How are you?
1: Good morning, Rick. I'm well. How are you?
0: I'm not too bad. Um, Well, this survey from the Angus Reid Institute really isn't surprising given that long-term care residents have accounted for most of the COVID-19 deaths here in Canada.
1: I mean, there's no question about it. These are completely understandable and entirely warranted given what we've seen and what has happened. And I also want to point out that these aren't the first results like this, right? So last year in May, May 2020, uh, there was another national poll commissioned by the National Union of Public and General Employees that found, you know, something very similar in addition to the fact that, you know, eighty percent, 86% of Canadians want long-term care to fall under the Canada Health Act and to be treated like hospitals, and that, you know, 81% wanted to see the feds invest whatever money and resources is needed in order to you know, create a a sufficient and safe long-term care sector. So this isn't new. Everyone saw what happened, and people are terrified.
0: You mentioned terrified. Another word they're using is dread. About half of those surveyed say they now dread the thought of themselves or their loved ones being in long-term care. That's not a situation we want to find ourselves in.
1: No, and listen, people that have had experiences with long-term care, because most people, until you live this world, you don't realize how bad it is. Me, myself included, being one of those families that didn't realize, you know, you always dread. Everyone wants to age at home. Everyone wants to, to, frankly, die in their own private household. But home care is an abysmal joke, quite frankly. And we don't have the support so that people can age in place appropriately. So the, it's always a, a crisis situation. Often families find themselves in a situation where there is no alternative. And they're effectively kind of pushed into long-term care if they need that substantial round the round-the-clock care, right? So... You know, families I talk to from across Canada, you know, have a horror story after horror story. This isn't new. Unfortunately, the majority of people that have yet to experience long-term care don't realize. The pandemic only shone a light on how terrible things were and, of course, exacerbated it to a whole new level of terrible. And the fact that it has not been sufficiently addressed, certainly in Ontario, but really Canada proper, um, really shows you the the lack of respect and, and care we assigned to our seniors frankly.
0: Here where is uh, where the survey from the Angus Reed Institute really uh, gets some teeth that is three quarters of respondents say significant changes if not a complete overhaul should happen in long-term care. The question is it doesn't appear that anything has really changed since the start of the pandemic has it?
1: No, and, and that's the the horrifying part of all of us that have been watching this, paying attention, really advocating for change. How little has actually, you know, how little change has been spurred on by what is, without any question of a doubt, the worst collective long-term care tragedy in our entire history. And yet nothing appreciable has happened to address the shortcomings. And we have fought and we have been fighting for, you know, frankly, nationalized reform. We want national standards that are actual standards, legislated standards with peace, criminal charges, you know, hefty financial penalties, the same things that, you know, differing provinces can indeed do on their own. But we want to see a system not unlike how the Canada Health Act was initially created where you provide the incentives to the provinces to buy in and inadvertently. And what happens is that they do. This is how we have our public, you know, acute care and physician service, you know, model of, you know, universal care was created in the 80s, right? Under Tommy Douglas, we want to see the same similar thing happen with long-term care. Frankly, it was a massive mistake not to include long-term care properly under the Canada Health Act.
0: No doubt about it. Our guest is Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos, co-founder of Doctors for Justice in Long-Term Care, also a professor at Ontario Tech University. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, 980 CFPL London, 900 CHML Hamilton. Rick in for Bill this week. We're talking about a survey from the Angus Reid Institute that suggests the pandemic has changed the way most Canadians think about their future with long-term care, and most of them, or about at least half of them, dreading the thought of themselves or their loved ones being in that situation. The survey also saying, and this is where... You know it, it takes money to make some changes obviously 55% say they would be willing to pay an increase of 2% in their tax rate to fund improvements to long-term care. A, do you believe that number and B, is that enough?
1: 100 Listen, everyone I've spoken to and the general public when you, you know, really read the room so to speak, they will they want this to be fixed. People are horrified with what happened. What what for us that have been watching it and me in particular and I'll I'll say this, I, what I'm most horrified about is that Those with the power to change this, be it our federal government, our prime minister, and our varying premiers, have failed to act in the urgency that is required based on what happened. I mean, the fact that we are still sitting here stalling action is horrifying, given how many seniors and persons with disabilities died. And, and, you know, it reminds me of an op-ed. New York Times op-ed back in March at the start of the pandemic by a gentleman, Elia Kukla, who said, you know, what, what What we are seeing was what he said, a pestilence of ableism and ageism that has been unleashed, right? And and the truth is it's the chronically sick, disabled people and our seniors have been viewed as acceptable losses. And you try to argue with me the opposite, given what we saw happen and how little change has been effectively put into play the fact that our prime minister himself promised national standards you know put on this whole show that this is horrifying which it was but yet to date (laughs) nothing has happened the criminal charges that he said would be coming never happened we have homes in ontario where up to 30 you know seniors died from dehydration i mean we're talking neglect contributing to death and nothing has happened Nothing has happened. No home has lost their license. No charges have been laid. We have, you know, families that I've been dealing with with Orchard Villa have been trying to get charges laid. have been trying to get the Durham Region Police involved. And yet still nothing. Why do we let these bad actors off the hook? Why are we letting this happen in long term care? You try to tell me if this happened in daycares with children, that there wouldn't be charges, that there wouldn't be, frankly, hell to pay. The fact that we are sitting here letting this happen to our seniors and persons with disabilities is frankly disgusting and very telling of those who have the power to change it and aren't.
0: So why aren't we as up in arms with, you know, the golden generation?
1: You know, unfortunately, I think a lot of this comes to, down to, you know, you see these people as disposable because they're not contributing, quote-unquote, to the economy. And, and I'm not saying this is the public, cause at least the public that I, you know, interchange with is horrified and they want the change. And and it's very clearly demonstrated in national serving data. This shows that people want to change and will do whatever they have to do, even if it's paying out of their own pockets to do so. So really, I think this is a problem at the top. This is a problem with our governments that have for successive decades passed the long-term care buck onto another, presumably because it's too difficult for them to actually do what needs to be done. And it's just, I, I can't wrap my head around why we're not doing what needs to be done, and, and I really hope when when it comes to the next election that this is going to be the election you know issue that it should be because this was a horror. I mean, Canada ranked among the worst of all OECD countries. I mean, this is not just you know, oh, we did kind of bad in Canada. I mean, we are the horrifying international embarrassment with how we care for our seniors and our persons with disabilities. So. I'm really praying that, you know, change is not completely lost and and the elections really show these officials what's important. And barring that, you know, I throw my hands up in the air. I don't know what to say.
0: Our guest is Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos, co-founder of Doctors for Justice in Long-Term Care, professor at Ontario Tech University. Joining us here on The Bill Kelly Show, 980 CFPL London, 900 CHML Hamilton. Rick in for Bill this week. You mentioned the election. Um, You know, politicians make promises. Uh, They say, you know, we're going to spend this much on this issue. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Do you think there's a politician or a political party out there that has not only the wherewithal or the plan to overhaul or tweak or improve the system, whatever that looks like, and do you think they'll follow up with that? Is there the political will out there, do you think?
1: Um, There's no question about it. that You know, since the start of my advocacy, it's it's not, you know, the people that have reached out to me, to try to come up with solutions have, frankly, been the NDP. So Jagmeet Singh has been amazing, and and, and they've created, they've actually created a platform for how to move us forward, which obviously is going to require significant financial investment. But anything, anything that is worthwhile takes investment and will pay off in the end. We all know this, right? You got to make, what is it, put money to make money? You got to make, spend money to make money. That's the idea. The same applies here. So, you know, this idea that we can't, or we shouldn't invest because other things are more worthwhile. I can't get my head around that argument. But yes, the NDP has been the party that at least has reached out to me. I've seen them create platforms, platforms that make sense, um, that are feasible. So, And the parties that don't, you know, it's very disappointing. And it doesn't take long to look at conflicts of interest and to look at which parties have, you know, known contributors or investors or don't, you know, people that donate to their campaigns that are affiliated with the for-profit long-term care industry. So you have to wonder, you know, is this just an evidence, you know, of, I spoke to a reporter yesterday who called it crony capitalism, and there's far too much intermingling between elected officials and certain parties and the for-profit long-term care sector, which is a very powerful lobby and, and frankly, the, what they have wanted has been what has been achieved in Ontario over the course of the pandemic, being from Bill 218 to policies that allow them to de-skill labor and to literally hire anyone off the street to work in long-term care without any health care expertise. So, Yeah.
0: We're chewing on the latest survey from the Angus Reid Institute that suggests the pandemic has changed the way we think about our future in long term care. And at least half of those surveys say they are dreading the thought of being in a long term care home. Uh, you referenced, uh, you know, long term care being fully integrated within the public health system. What's the likelihood of that and, and how much heavy lifting needs to be done for that to happen?
1: Listen, they, they know what they can do. I've also worked with the Ontario Health Coalition that have put together documents submitted directly to the Prime Minister himself, legal documents that have shown them how they can do this. I mean, one easy step towards that goal is by making Rivera public. Rivera was one of the largest for-profit long-term care chains in Canada, is actually owned by the federal government. Um, our pension uh, you know sector, so we could make that public tomorrow, and that has been something that the NDP has been advocating in addition to several unions and, and you know a variety of different individuals to say this is a very good step towards that, but frankly. We have the contracts in long-term care. So they assign licenses to long-term care homes that are between 25 to 30 years. So this is generational. I mean, it is no, you know, insignificant thing to hand out a license. And many homes and many families right now are petitioning against, let's say, Orchard Villa, who is up to get a 30-year license after what happened, after what we all saw, one of the worst military-occupied homes. And they are considering giving them a 30-year license, which is horrifying to me and to the families affected. So we we can make different decisions. We can start investing in municipal ownership, which is possible. We can prioritize the licenses to go to people that have demonstrated success, certainly during COVID, but well before that, which is, frankly, the municipal sector, which is by far done the best. And then after that, the not-for-profit sector. But nowhere does it show in the evidence that we should support for-profit long-term care. We have a significant body of literature, both pre-pandemic and clearly all throughout, that has shown that this sector fails. The for-profit model fails everybody, fails the workers, it fails the residents, it fails these families. The only people that win in the for-profit model are the shareholders and the CEOs, make no mistake. They have a fiduciary responsibility to make profit. And what do you think is going to happen? To make profit, you have to cut back on care. I mean, this can be said in any, and, and look at the American health care. This can be said in any privatized sector. Somebody suffers in order to make a profit. And we saw case in point how that happened during this pandemic. So providing any some sort of investment and keeping this sector going is, is not only deeply unethical, but is completely against the evidence that exists. So are we an evidence-based society, or, or would you just go with the whims of the for-profit sector, which clearly has ingratiated itself very well into government?
0: We're a long way from a perfect system, but in a perfect world, what would that system look like? What needs to be in place? Yeah. What needs to be deleted?
1: I want to see long-term care treated like acute care. I want it to fall under the Canada Health Act or some sort of you know separate Medicare legislation that treats it Not unlike hospitals. I mean, everyone saw what happened. Hospitals were protected. Hospitals had the supports. They had the resources. Long-term care was left on its own to suffer, and that's exactly what happened. We need to keep it in the public health sector. When you look at the evidence, it's it's the homes that were most similar to public ownership, meaning the municipal homes, that fared the best. And it's for a variety of reasons. You know, their staffing model, their care model, um, you know, who they bring into these homes to provide the care, how they train them, the continuity of care, everything. In the for-profit sector, I mean, there's a million reasons why it failed, and we all know what they are. Um, so we just really need to bring it under public ownership, nonprofit delivery, zero profit should have any role in long-term care. Certainly after what we saw, and we need to start treating them like not unlike hospitals, right? Making sure we have, and keep in mind, hospitals have gone through you know those successive financial cutbacks too, and they need more investment. But compared to long-term care, oh my God. I mean, there's just zero of the kind of investment we've needed. And this has been decades. It's not just these governments in place right now. This goes back 20, 30 years. Um, but we definitely need to bring it into the public sector. There's no question about it. That's the only way we're going to see significant and meaningful change. Otherwise, you're just putting band-aids on, on bullet wounds.
0: Doctor Stamatopoulos, I love the passion that you bring to the table. You're an awesome advocate for this uh, sector of our health care system. Um, continue pushing the ball forward and we'll be right alongside uh, helping you do so.
1: <laughs> Thank you, I will.
0: Thanks for the time today. Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos, co-founder of Doctors for Justice in Long-Term Care, also a professor at Ontario Tech University, and brings up a number of, you know, critical points. <laughs> The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.
1: For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does.